I'm Joel, and it's such a joy to be with you all today as we return to Luke's Gospel. I invite you at this time to turn in your Bibles or on your devices to Luke chapter 19. We also have it printed here on page 5 in your bulletin. Welcome any of you who are joining us online to Heart City Church. I hope you're here to hear the Gospel. Luke 19. Children, we have come to one of the best children's stories in the whole Bible. Have you ever heard of Zacchaeus? Pastor Joel, who's Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a man who heard in Luke 19 that Jesus was coming into his town. But Zacchaeus had a big problem. His big problem was that he was very little. Zacchaeus was a short guy, really short. And there's this big crowd all around Jesus. So little Zacchaeus, he can't see over the top of them. I like this story when I was a child because I could identify. I often felt like Zacchaeus. I too was small and terribly disadvantaged, an awkward little in a world of bigs. So, Zacchaeus, you know what he does? He does something no grown man would ever do. You know what Zacchaeus does? He climbs up a tree to see who Jesus was. Picture a guy like Grandpa's age, up in a tree, doing what only little people would do. Second reason I like this story, especially as a child, is because we had this song that we always used to sing about Zacchaeus. And I'm going to do something most grown men would never do in public. I'm going to sing it with the hopes that you might remember it too. It goes, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior came that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house to stay. Thank you for the little bit of applause there. Now, third reason I like this story was because of what happens actually at the end of the song. We little Zacchaeus, after Jesus comes into his life, a very happy man was he. A very happy man was he from that day on. So children and big children, let's all pray that God might turn us into little children, that we might once again believe the news that seems too good to be true, but it's not. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we confess that sometimes we come to you and we're far too large for our britches. Will you today uh, bring us down to size, make us like children who can once again believe and give us eyes, eyes to see Jesus. We ask and pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Now hear the word of our God from Luke chapter 19. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, 
hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That statement has actually been called a milestone in religious history. What separates Christianity from all other faiths, religious beliefs, is our sinner-seeking Savior, our sinner-seeking Savior, Jesus. You see, you and I are lost, and we need to be found. We are sinners, and Jesus came to save. Other religions say, you take the initiative. You find your way from here to glory, wherever that may be, however they describe it. The Bible says that God in Christ has taken initiative for us. That means Jesus gets all the glory as he gets you to glory. Jesus gets all the glory as he gets you to glory. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Glory be to God. Good for us. Glory to God. Now, after three weeks in a topical series We're actually returning to what we normally do, our normal practice, expository preaching. We're preaching verse by verse through the entire book of Luke. We've actually arrived in a milestone ourselves today. I think 500 years ago, actually it was December, November of 2020, we began Luke. And we entitled this series, The Son of Man Came to Seek and Save the Lost. Because Luke 19.10 is actually it captures the heart of what Luke wants to communicate to us about Jesus. We have finally arrived at Luke 19. Now Luke, if you remember way back then, he wrote this gospel for a guy named Theophilus, a Greek person who didn't know much about Israel, much about... He wrote this so this guy Theophilus could know with certainty what Jesus had come to do, who he was. And so Theophilus has been reading this. And after 18 chapters, what has Theophilus discovered? These three things. Jesus has a special care for the outcasts and the oddballs, for the lame and for the lost, for the bad and the broken. Jesus has a special care for those who are far from God. Secondly, when Jesus comes into a person's life, it is glorious. Everything changes for them when Jesus comes into their life. And third, far too often religious people don't like what Jesus is saying and doing. Far too often religious people do not like what Jesus is saying and doing. And we see all that right here in this wonderful story about Zacchaeus, don't we? Friends, this story is the climax. This is Luke's explanation point, explanation point right here. At the end, you see, this is the final encounter Jesus has before he enters Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the final stop, or Jericho is the final stop 
before Jesus reaches the end of the road. We read in verse 1, he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. Luke is giving us this location marker because Jericho is the last stop before the cross. Distance-wise, we need to see Jericho is kind of like a suburb of the capital city of Jerusalem. That's how nearby it is. Ten chapters ago, Jesus told his disciples he was heading to Jerusalem, and he says, I'm going to die on the cross. 951, we see Jesus steals his face, and he begins this journey. And here we are, ten chapters later, chapter 19. Jericho is the last stop on the Jesus train. This final story enters Zacchaeus. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Full stop right there. For two reasons. First, because I really wish translators would come up with a different word than behold. We look at it and we only think about it. Nobody says that word anymore. Children, when you've drawn a really great art piece that you want on the refrigerator, maybe you got a great grade on a test, do you go home to your mom and dad and say, Behold! No. But Luke is trying to get our attention here. He's trying to get our attention. He says, Looky here. A man named Zacchaeus, a man named Righteous. You see, Zacchaeus' name means righteous. And what names mean in this culture is significant. We don't tend to think, oh, what does your name Joel mean? Oh, Joel means Jehovah's God. Wow. No, we don't. Nobody thinks of that. In this culture, Everyone thinks of him as Mr. Righteous. Let me read on. Looky here, a man named Righteous, and he was a chief tax collector and very rich. <laughs> Do you see how ironic, how unexpected, how contradictory this is? Because you cannot be righteous if you're a tax collector. Tax collectors were sellouts. They were the most despised out of all the Jews. Tax collectors were not even allowed in the synagogue or the temple. Remember, the Jews were an oppressed people living under Roman occupation. Imagine being in Ukraine and the Russians come in and then one of your neighbors starts selling information about all your people. This is what tax collectors are viewed as. Imagine, we don't know what this is like, foreign soldiers living on our streets, demanding a cut of everything for the Roman Empire. And here's Mr. Righteous in bed with the enemy, bleeding you and your neighbors dry. In fact, it's worse. He's a chief tax collector. It's the only time you can find the word in the Greek, which means he is a supervisor farming out to many of these crooks and working for pagans. Zacchaeus has become filthy rich, and he wears the label righteous everywhere he goes. Think about that. Do you think when his parents named him, they thought this would happen? Why did they name him this? They had hopes of what he would be. What did he think about his life in light of his label? And Luke tells us then something more about Zacchaeus, verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. We see he is a wee little man. Think Danny DeVito, all right? Little tiny guy. And he wants to see Jesus. Now, sadly, a lot of my commentaries, 
They're saying, well, we can't really know why Zacchaeus is interested in Jesus. I think Luke's given us a three-word clue. Did you catch it? Zacchaeus was not simply seeking to see Jesus. Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. So allow me to submit some sanctified speculation here. Zacchaeus was a supervisor of many tax collectors. He's well-connected. He would have heard at the water cooler talk about this new rabbi who liked tax collectors. This didn't happen. Pharisees and rabbis had the worst opinion of tax collectors. In fact, that was their biggest criticism of Jesus. He had a reputation of eating and feasting with tax collectors and sinners. More, Zacchaeus would have heard how one of his own, Levi, had become a disciple of this rabbi Jesus. This is unprecedented. I'm wondering, what would have surprised Zacchaeus more? The fact that Jesus had a special care for tax collectors and called Levi to follow him and become a disciple. Would that have surprised him more? Or the fact that Levi followed Jesus, left the tax booth, left money on the table. What would have surprised him more? What would this man named Righteous, who looks at himself every day in the mirror, lost in corruption, heart hardened by greed, isolated from his own people, every day numbing himself with the comforts and all the distractions only the rich can afford, sitting in his coochie couch, eating his fancy food that all has come by means of the poor in his society, by ransacking those who had so little already. I wonder if a flicker of hope flamed up in his heart when he heard the most recent Jesus parable, Luke 18. This just happened last, this is the last parable of Jesus where a tax collector and a Pharisee show up at the temple and the tax collector begs for mercy from God. And Jesus says the tax collector goes to heaven, not the Pharisee. Do you see why Zacchaeus would be very interested in knowing who Jesus was? Imagine hearing, this guy has just entered your town. And Luke tells us he runs out to find Jesus, only to find this huge crowd. And he's on his tiptoes, but that won't work. He tries to work his way up front, but the crowd won't let him through. And we can understand why, right? Greedy man, you've taken a share of everything we have. We're not giving you this. Every time he comes to try and get through, they close ranks. echo anything? Do you remember? This is kind of a sad repeat of what happened right before when Jesus entered Jericho. I know it was a month ago. There was actually another man who had trouble seeing Jesus literally. There was a blind beggar on the roadside who heard from the crowd that Jesus was coming and he began to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And this crowd of Jesus followers told him, shut up. Jesus doesn't have time for the likes of you. You can't help the cause. You can't help the Jesus gang. You can't contribute anything. You'll only slow us down. What did he do? <laughs> it just let him to cry out all the louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He was desperate. This was his one chance to see Jesus. Like the blind beggar 
we see just how desperate Zacchaeus is. He does what no middle-aged Jewish man would dare do. He climbs a tree like a school-aged boy. It's a pretty strange thing to do. Let me ask you, what would it take to get one of you to climb that tree outside? What would have to what would have what would call you to do that? When's the last time you saw a grown man climb a tree? Not a tree climber. I'm talking about just grown man. In his work clothes, his business clothes, yeah. Do you think when he's getting up there he's like wondering, what in the world am I doing? But he's there now. And the Jesus cavalcade begins moving his way. Consider his view from up in the tree. Jesus comes closer and closer and closer. And now Jesus is walking right below him. And then he stops. The whole cavalcade stops. And suddenly Jesus looks up. I don't think Zacchaeus is happy to be discovered. To have not just Jesus, but hundreds, maybe thousands of hostile faces staring up at you, a little IRS agent up in a sycamore, and they all hate your guts. He's feeling treated like a raccoon, I can imagine. Right? He's a bandit. And no way to escape. This would be complete horror for him. A shameful thing. And then he hears these words from Jesus. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Do you think anybody thought this was going to happen? Certainly not the Jesus crowd. I see this wealthy crook up there on display. They were thinking, what wonderful providence, Jesus. Look at this. A providential sermon illustration to preach on the evils of greed. Oh, this is going to be good. When they see Jesus look up. But Jesus says, hurry on down, Zacchaeus. Hurry on down. I'm coming over to your place. You're with us now. You're with us. Can you imagine how the crowd who was just previous trying to keep this guy out felt? Verse 7, we see a lot of them are still grumbling about it. You ever been to a church where a least likely person suddenly comes to faith? And folks are like, Jesus, come on now. We're using this guy as an example. Now he's sitting in church. He's coming to our Bible study. Jesus, why didn't you at least call him out first as a sinner? That's a good question. Why doesn't Jesus first call Zacchaeus out to repent? Why doesn't he expose Zacchaeus for his sins? For the sinner he is. Did you notice that Jesus never once calls Zacchaeus out for his wicked ways? Not at all in this whole passage. What's the reason for that? Because Jesus sees he's up a tree. He's already up a tree, and that's not a bad place to be. Jesus sees he's far from God, but he's doing something totally out of character because God's at work in Zacchaeus. See, this is evidence that God is already at work in his heart. 
God is already at work changing this man. The Holy Spirit is clearly working on Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus is not acting like his old self. Brother Mark reminded me of a scene from a movie, Amazing Grace, that came out about 15, 20 years ago, where William Wilberforce, the guy who would eventually in England put an end to slavery there, well, he's this really powerful political figure and all, but he's not acting like himself. He's not acting like his old self. There's this scene where he's just in his clothes, laying on his back in the wet grass. And the butler comes out and gives him a look. And Wilberforce asks him, do you think I'm acting strange? And the butler sort of shrugs. And Wilberforce adds this, I have 10,000 important things to do, but I'd rather look at dandelions and marvel at spider webs. And the butler looks at him funny and he asks, have you found God, sir? And pure joy comes over Wilberforce's face. And he says, no, but I think he's found me. I think he's found me. Dear friends, that is exactly what Zacchaeus is experiencing right here. Verse 6, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Friends, it is a joy to discover that your creator has so arranged this world and even your life, the good and the bad, so that you would find yourself inevitably led to your Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's all of his grace, all of his grace. I've got an extended quote from Gerhardus Voss. It's so good. He writes, Open to him, Jesus, are a thousand ways to bring you and me to the very place and point where he desires to meet us. How many of us would have been saved if the Lord had waited till we sought him out? Listen to this. Thanks be to God. He is a savior who seeks the lost, who with eyes supernaturally farsighted, discerns us from long way off and draws our interest to himself by the sweet constraint of his grace till we are face to face with him and our soul is saved. Friends, Jesus made certain that Zacchaeus would be right where he needed to be so that Jesus could find him. Jesus didn't only make Zacchaeus a short guy, create him that way so that he had to climb the tree, singled out from everyone. But before Zacchaeus was even born, Jesus planted that sycamore seed in the ground in the very place that he planned to walk. Perhaps you find yourself in a strange place today. Somewhere you wouldn't have been a month ago, a year ago. A church that somebody actually meant to be a bank once, but Jesus had other plans. You can imagine being here, looking at ancient manuscripts. Maybe you're watching online, and this is not your Sunday normal. Or maybe you find this morning something happened in your heart. A little bit of warmth. It's kind of strange. And it's not because the preaching has improved from last week. It's what we call effectual calling. It's the work of God's Spirit moving us towards Jesus, convicting us of our sin, of our misery, while opening our eyes up to the glory of Jesus and the glory that he offers in the age to come. So that me white joyfully invite him to enter into our lives 
because we then begin to know that he means us well, unlike anybody else. Of course, this is not always received well by others. That's the sad thing. Don't forget the grumblers, verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They have no problem seeing sin, but they're completely blind to gospel glory. They see Jesus, he's entering this contaminated man's house. He's going to become unclean. By association, holy Jesus, you're going to become like the sinner and the outcast. And they hate that thought. Do you? I hope not. Because, friends, this is the gospel. Zacchaeus had to come down from that tree so that Jesus could go up on the tree where only crooks deserve to be. And on that tree, the one who knew no sin became sin so that Zacchaeus could actually become his label, righteous. And so that you and I, by simply believing and holding, taking a hold of him, we could become the righteousness of God. By receiving Jesus, who sacrificed his life on a tree so that he could save your soul. When you get that you have been so greatly loved and that you've been forgiven so much, you will live out a new identity in strange and sacrificial ways. They're going to surprise folks. See Zacchaeus? You think Zacchaeus, I mean, just think about it. He got up that morning and he's eating his Cheerios. You think he think, thought, well, I'm going to end up in a tree today. Did you think he thought, I'm going to invite Jesus over to my house and he'll be here with me? You think he could have imagined writing a check for half of his wealth to give to the poor? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. He just wrote a check to give away more than half his wealth. Notice Jesus has not said a word about money. This is not Jesus offering Zacchaeus forgiveness in exchange for Zacchaeus forking over a lot of cash that he shouldn't have taken. No, this isn't that kind of exchange. Jesus showed this man forgiveness by asking to enter into his life. And Zacchaeus' repentance and his love for others flows out of that forgiveness that he has received. This good news that he has now discovered. It seems that Mr. Righteous remembered some of his childhood Bible lessons because he's actually, this restitution is found in Numbers chapter 5, verses 5 to 7. What you do when you've sinned against others, how you repay them. What we see here is that when Jesus enters our lives, one of the first things we begin to do, we begin to repent. We begin to repent and make amends with those we've wronged because we're no longer looking out for number one. Rather, we're living our lives for our Lord who we know is number one. I suspect some of us here, we stop and think about this. We may need to go to a neighbor, a friend, a loved one, someone we have wronged. And we need to confess that we were caring more about ourselves 
than we were them. Perhaps even making amends so that they will see who is the Lord of your life. They're going to think that's a very strange thing. Zacchaeus, did you notice? He called Jesus Lord. And he shows his repentance. And in his repentance, he shows that Jesus is the Lord of his life and everything he has. It's no wonder that Jesus says, and Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Salvation came into his house because Jesus came into his heart. This man was a son of Abraham, but he had lost his identity. He decided to take a trip into the far country, like that lost son in Luke 15. And just as the father saw that lost son from afar off, remember the story? (laughs) Jesus saw Zacchaeus from far off. And I hope you now see that this story is not about Zacchaeus. Not in the first place. This story is about Jesus. This is Jesus' story. And I hope that you see that your story is not about you. It's about Jesus seeking you. About Jesus seeking you and making you a part of his story. There are two seekers in this story. Zacchaeus and Jesus. But we in Zacchaeus, we are little less seekers. Jesus Christ is the capital S seeker. This is actually one of the most glorious truths I discovered in the Bible, one I wish I had known as a child. I thought I was the seeker and that my salvation depended upon my righteousness to follow. I was a nervous wreck. And I became a wreck. And then I discovered that Jesus is the seeker and that salvation is all of his righteous work. And he also said, Not one of my sheep will ever be lost. Is that not good news? You can't be lost. Read John 10. Read John 17. Jesus says, if I've come to seek you, you can never be lost. The Father will never let you slip out of my hand. That is an ironclad promise from God's word. So today, if you hear his voice, praise God because he saw you and was seeking you long before you could ever see him, like Zacchaeus or the blind man, much less seek him because no one seeks for God. See Romans 3, Psalm 14, Psalm 53. And by the way, Jesus' seeking had nothing to do with your righteousness. Nothing. Let's be real, none of us fit that label. Maybe you're a not-yet-Jesus follower. The good news for you is that Jesus only saves filthy, rotten sinners. He only saves filthy, rotten sinners. So you don't have to clean yourself up in order to be his. So own it. Admit it. All you have to do is believe what he says to Zacchaeus. He must come to your life today, no matter how filthy it is. And he's looking at you right now. And he wants you to let him in. He wants you to head over. He wants to head over to your house when this service is over. Did you think Jesus was coming over for lunch? He wants to. And he wants to bring changes that you will be able to rejoice in, not just today, but forever.
So don't let your mess keep you from inviting Jesus in. He already knows you and he loves you. And I want you to take both parts of that in. Here's a great quote from Tim Keller. To be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Come to Jesus. Let him in. I'll close with a word for us who are already Christ followers. We need to cultivate a heart like Jesus for the lost. There are myriads of folks all around us who do not know Jesus. They may be awkward people to be around. They may be rotten, rich scumbags who don't seem to need anything like Zacchaeus. They may be needy, weak people like the blind beggar. And we need to be praying for them and we need to be praying for us that we won't put up barriers like we've seen in these last two scenes to keep folks from coming to Jesus. I've been in many churches that take stands against the seeker-sensitive churches. I agree that we shouldn't become like the culture in our worship in hopes of saving the lost. The Bible calls us to be separate. What we do here should be pretty strange to our culture. If you become like the culture, you actually have nothing to say to the culture. At the same time, Bible-believing churches must be salvation for sinner churches. We must be salvation for sinner churches because we serve a seeker-sensitive Savior. You realize that? We serve a seeker-sensitive Savior. Let's pray about that. Let's pray God will open our eyes to how the Spirit is at work in folks all around us. This is actually fun when it happens because it'll often look kind of strange and not what you'll expect. Maybe curiosity. I don't expect you to see someone up a tree, but they might be doing something out of character. Maybe hostile to you when they first begin to see who Jesus is. Maybe that was you at one point. And look at you now. Friends, let's marvel at the grace of our sinner-seeking Savior. Let's pray for our neighbor's salvation. And then let's ever count it our privilege to participate in the greatest rescue mission in all of human history. Our Lord Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, what manner of love is this that you should seek and save us in all our lostness, that you would leave the glories of heaven, that we could enter your glory. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. While we were still lost in sin, while we were your enemies, you sent your son to die for our sins. We ask and pray that you'll send your spirit, that you will equip us to be a people who notice what you're doing in the world around us and come alongside and see the joy of participating. Help us to play the long game with people. Help us, Lord, to show forth our Lord Jesus Christ and all we say and do. And Heavenly Father, if there be any we're up a tree right now. We ask and pray that this will be the day they come down and Jesus enters their life. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Amen.